next on a special edition of In Focus, the Indiana impact of the coronavirus crisis. Today, our Washington Bureau goes one-on-one with Vice President Mike Pence. Plus, we hear from Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun and other Indiana lawmakers at the state and federal level. All that and the economic impact here in Indiana, it's all ahead on a special edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana, this is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, everyone. I'm Bob Donaldson in this week for Dan Spieler as we take a closer look at the Indiana impact of the coronavirus crisis. We're also hearing from some of our elected officials in Washington, including Vice President and former Indiana Governor Mike Pence. He spoke this week with our Washington correspondent, Anna Wernicke. Vice President Mike Pence says the White House struck a deal with Senate leaders on a massive $2 trillion coronavirus spending bill to help the people hit the hardest by the crisis. It's going to speed financial support directly to American families and directly to small businesses that employ uh, people all across this country. He wants to see the nation back up and running sooner than later. We can do this by Easter. I think that would be a great thing for our country. Do you think Easter is a realistic timeline to get back to normal? Well, so much of that depends on the American people. The most important thing that we can do for our economy, the most important thing to put this behind us is to is to prevent uh, the spread of the coronavirus. Pence says that means following the 15-day guideline the White House issued last week. Avoid social gatherings, wash your hands, and stay home as much as possible. And Mr. Vice President, Americans are worried right now, understandably. How do you tell the single mom who's just been laid off and has to pay rent next week that it's going to be okay? Well, I, I want to tell any American uh, that's been laid off or lost their job or is worried about a paycheck that help is on the way. Pence says that help depends on quick action by lawmakers in Congress. In Washington, I'm Anna Warnicke. This week, we're also hearing from both of Indiana's senators after Congress passed that $2 trillion aid package. Trevor Shirley has more again from our Washington Bureau. Good morning. It was an historic 96 to 0 vote. Once that bill left the Senate, we caught up with both of Indiana's senators to get their reaction. The $2 trillion relief package will be the biggest emergency bill ever passed by the Senate, and Indiana Senator Todd Young is satisfied. So I think Hoosiers are going to be happy with this package, and uh, it's going to provide much-needed relief. Currently, the bill gives a one-time $1,200 payment to most Americans making less than $75,000. It also increases unemployment benefits by $600 a week for up to four months. There's $367 billion for small business loans and $500 billion in loans for major companies like airlines, which Democrats like Illinois Senator Dick Durbin say will not be a hidden handout benefiting corporations. Since Sunday, we have dramatically changed this package so that there will be transparency and accountability to allocate these taxpayer funds to help these companies. Indiana Senator Mike Braun said Democrats promised not to tack on unrelated spending items to the massive legislation. None of us are going to probably know every detail or iota we try to, but the urgency factors in place. And he says Americans should feel the bill's impact soon after it's signed into law. When it comes to uh, unemployment insurance, you should be able to do that uh, within a week. 
And at this point, Senate leadership said senators won't be coming back here to Washington until at least mid-April. That could always change depending on how this pandemic continues to progress. Reporting in Washington, I'm Trevor Shirley for In Focus. Trevor, thank you. Friday, that legislation also passed the House, and that same day, we heard from some members of Indiana's congressional delegation, including Congressman Larry Bouchon. But the reality is, is it's a bipartisan bill, and the American people are hurting both medically and financially, and we need to act. I was a health care provider before I was in Congress. I was a heart surgeon for many years. So the health care piece is really important to me. I think if you talk to hospitals, which I have over the last week in my congressional district, they're still short somewhat on personal protective equipment. They're concerned about ventilators. They're concerned about masks, gowns, but also just bed space if we do have a worst case scenario. The good news is the hospitals in the 8th Congressional District of Indiana that I talked to, they're, they're right there and they're, re they're prepared to, and ready Ready to go. So uh, that's the main thing, the assistance to the healthcare system to make sure that they have the adequate equipment uh, and the staffing, honestly, that they need to take care of people if we have a worst case scenario. And right now they've stepped up to the plate in Indiana and I'm proud of that. The CARES Act will keep the lights on in America. It will put cash in the hands of Americans who need help to pay their bills and put food on the table. And it will give a lifeline to small businesses when they need it most. This is by no means a perfect bill, but it gets help to the people who need it most. Congressman Andre Carson also put out a statement Friday in support of that legislation. This week, we're also getting answers on the state and local response. Our Kayla Sullivan spoke one-on-one -on -one with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett about the surge in cases in Marion County and protections for renters in the city. Well, we passed ordinances uh, earlier in the year uh, for more protection for renters in our city. Uh, I'm so glad that the governor uh, issued a moratorium uh, during this incredibly difficult period of time uh, that prevents evictions of uh, renters in our city uh, and throughout the state. That doesn't mean that they don't need to still pay rent, but at least they cannot get evicted during this period. I'm also grateful that the governor vetoed uh, the legislation that would have, in my estimation, uh, changed the balance between uh, landlord and tenant. Uh, and so uh, in working in conjunction with the governor's office, uh, we're moving forward with the legislation and the ordinances that we passed here in the state of Indiana or in the city of Indianapolis. And in addition, uh, you know, the city is a landlord. And so we're going to be announcing uh, today uh, that um, we're going to give two months of rent relief uh, for those tenants uh, who uh, uh, inhabit uh, city properties over at the city market. These are essential uh, businesses that uh, provide food and, and, uh, and, and the like for our, our, our population. And uh, we want to make sure that as good landlords, uh, we're giving them the break uh, that I would hope most landlords would try to uh, extend to, to their tenants as well. What is the city doing to prepare for the COVID-19 surge? Well, we're working very closely with our state partners uh, and frankly, uh, our uh, large uh, healthcare providers uh, throughout the community. Uh, that the cooperation, frankly, between the governor's office and the mayor's office, as well as the Indiana State Department of Health and the Marion County Public of Health, uh, Department of Public Health, could not have been closer. And 
frankly, that also extends to the major uh, healthcare providers throughout the city of Indianapolis. So uh, I'm hopeful that that level of communication, that level of cooperation, uh, and frankly, that level of commitment will enable Indianapolis to effectively address what you uh, correctly identify is, I think, a growing number uh, of uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, cases in Indianapolis. Uh, and I am, uh, I'm hopeful that we will be able to respond very effectively, no matter how high those numbers become. But I want to underscore, we need to flatten the curve. And that's why the stay-at-home orders by the governor's office and by the mayor's office have been issued. Because as we flatten that curve, as we get to a point, and it's not here yet, but as we get to a point when the numbers of presumptive positive cases start to recede, uh, then we'll be in a better position to de determine what is the appropriate allocation of our health care resources. Uh, and that's why it's important that we uh, remind everybody that uh, if you, you can stay at home uh, but for essential needs, uh, that's precisely how you can help our city and how you can help our state overcome the COVID-19 uh, crisis. This week, we're also hearing more about the state response to COVID-19 as the governor institutes that stay-at-home order. One state lawmaker says he wants those rules to be more clear. Stay at home. Unless you're going out on an essential errand or essential work or essential business. The problem is we have a lot of people out there that are confused and scared about what's going on. And I think we've seen a little bit of a disproportionate impact. Um, the, the type of people who have a, a take-home laptop and can work from home with a high-speed internet connection are having a different experience during the stay-at-home order than the people who punch a clock for a living. The Indiana Election Commission is moving forward with Governor Holcomb's request to push back the state's primary election. They approved the date of June 2nd during a virtual meeting this morning. The primary was supposed to be in May, as you know, but Governor Eric Holcomb requested the delay because of the coronavirus. If you're a registered voter, voter or become one by May 4th, you can vote by mail in this primary. In-person polls are still planned to be available, but every registered voter can now vote by mail. As a voter, you should have every confidence that this election will be, uh, will be pulled off in, in typical fashion as much as that is possible. At this point, in-person polls are still planned to be available, but every registered voter, again, as we said, can vote by mail. More information about how you can do that will be linked to this story on our website. An election commission meeting is scheduled next month to discuss what will happen with the state party conventions. And coming up next, we'll talk more about the economic impact of the coronavirus in Indiana and beyond. In February, we had a record number of people working in the state of Indiana, more people working in the state of Indiana than ever before. Oh, what a difference a month makes. And it'll make another, you know, it'll compound itself over the 60-day period. The good news is, as Secretary Schellinger mentioned, uh, we went into this in a strong, strong position. Governor Eric Holcomb this week talking about the economic impact of the coronavirus crisis. Meantime, experts say what you do right now can make a huge difference in whether Indiana's economy can survive COVID-19. Our Kayla Sullivan has more. 
If you're worried about where Indiana will be in the coming months, you're not alone. We're going to go into a pretty severe recession. And we're seeing all over, whether it's service industry, manufacturing, like it's going to be very broad and, you know, unemployment's going to spike. IU Kelly School of Business economist Kyle Anderson says you don't have to just sit and watch. Is there anything that people can start doing right now? Well, I mean, there's a, a few different things. I mean, part of the issue is that we're not spending money. He says if you have income right now, spend it locally online or order local carryout food if you can. Businesses that are that are local, they're the ones that are most likely to, to suffer the worst from it. The, the large national chains, you know, they're mostly going to survive. But he doesn't want you to put yourself at risk of catching COVID-19 to spend money. Don't put that above your health. That's I, would be my number one message. Anderson says the state's stay-at-home order was a good idea. Not only from a, a health and a moral point of view, but from an economic point of view, the number one thing we can do right now is reduce the spread of the virus, try to get increased testing, and once we're able to do all that, we can resume our normal activities and, and really try to build the economy back up to the point of where it was. He would like to see the state spend its more than $2 billion surplus to help. I asked Governor Eric Holcomb when Hoosiers might see that money and who will get it first. He says he's waiting to see what the federal government does. We haven't spent that yet, but that, that day's coming. And Hoosiers should know that this is the exact reason why we were so fiscally prudent um, year after year. Indiana Secretary of Commerce Jim Schellinger says Indiana was prepared for this and is reacting well. 115 businesses have stepped up to help so far. He encourages business owners to educate the state on their specific challenges and apply for available loans at this time. In the worst of times, Hoosiers are always at their finest. And I can tell you that the business community in Indiana is outreaching, working very hard to be of assistance to everyone and has responded in the most positive of manner. And again, experts and state leaders say the best thing you can do for Indiana's economy right now is stay home, stay healthy, and spend some extra money locally if you have it. Reporting from the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Right now, let's bring in our panel. I'm joined on Skype by former communications director for Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner, former communications director for the Indiana GOP, Pete C. And joined here in the studio by the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org, Abdul Hakim Shabazz. Um, guys, thanks for coming in under these circumstances. We want to get your thoughts on what we've seen so far this week as far as the state re response. Jen, I'll start with you. The, the governor has been fairly explicit about the danger that's posed by coronavirus here in the state. What, what do you make of his response so far? Well, thanks, Bob. And Pete, I'm sorry that our first uh, meeting of, uh, on, on In Focus has to be virtual. Um, I think the governor has, has had a good response. It's just been slow. Indiana is ahead of a lot of other states, uh, but we're still behind um, those states that are doing more to encourage people to stay home, making sure people are sheltering in place. And I think, as you heard uh, in his press conference, uh, the worst is yet to come, and people really need to be following these rules. Well, Pete, I'll bring you in. I mean, the governor has really done more than many Republican governors across the state as well. Do you give him some credit for the efforts that he's made? I think the state's response has been top-notch from the beginning. It has been aggressive, proactive, transparent. We heard that in, in the governor's 
uh, most recent press conference on Friday talking about the peak is yet to come, likely in April. He, he is making sure that information is being delivered to Hoosiers and keeping himself and members of the administration um, accessible, which is incredibly important as we face this crisis. So I have been incredibly impressed. I've known Eric for a decade now, and I'm not surprised that he has been handling this the way he's been handling it. Well, Abdul, I'll bring you in. You've been uh, asking some difficult questions at some of these news conferences. What do you make of the, uh, the state's response to them? Well, I think for the most part, the state's part of response has been serious, but it's also been measured. And I know a lot of people would like to compare Eric Holcomb's state to you know, Governor Cuomo out of New York City. Eric Holcomb is not Governor Cuomo. Matter of fact, no governor is any other governor. Every governor is unique unto themselves. And any governor that tries to respond in a way that's not consistent with their character, all it's going to do is make matters even worse uh, for the people at home. Like I said, the state has been responsive. You know, they've been as transparent as they, as they can. Remember, we still got medical issues going on. And early on, there was some griping about we weren't getting enough demographic information. Well, you also understand from a hospital's perspective, you know, they've got federal HIPAA laws uh, that they have to follow. There are things about identifying patients. So overall, I, I think the governor's doing fine. And folks have to remember, too, we are in uncharted territory. We're boldly going, if I may use a Star Trek analogy here, where no man or woman has gone before. And so we're literally building the plane as we are flying it. And people have to keep that into context. Well, Jen, do you have some explanation for why the, uh, the state might be reluctant to give out some of that demographic data and also talk about some of the preparedness as far as their relationships with the hospitals? I think Abdul is right. Obviously, there are rules and regulations in place for um, putting out that kind of information. That being said, we were not prepared for this. And I do want to say, obviously, this is a political show. I'm political, Pete's political, Abdul's political. This issue is no longer or should ever be again political in terms of the response. There are Democrats doing a great job. There are Republicans doing a great job. And there are folks in both parties who aren't taking this seriously. So my hope is that over the next couple of weeks or possibly couple of months, we can set politics aside and truly just tackle this head on. Well, Pete, you have experience both on the state and national level on some of these crisis management situations. What type of challenges does the governor face here locally in the days and weeks ahead? Well, it, it's, it's a challenge to, to take in all the information, to address what's happening in real time. As the governor has said, every single day is sobering, more sobering than the day before. We're seeing the deaths go up. We're seeing the number of positive cases go up. You know, when I worked at the White House for George W. Bush, uh, at some level, every day is a crisis when you work at the White House or when you're you're in the governor's office. There's always something coming at you. And I, I think the state has been taking measured, as Abdul said, measured and proactive and responsible steps to mitigate this as best as we possibly can and hope for the best and hope we can get back to our lives as quickly as possible. Abdul, we have about a minute left. What are you looking for in the days and weeks ahead from Governor Holcomb and the entire state's response? Uh, I think that some of the big questions are going to be going forward is, you know, do we have the do we have the infrastructure? Do we have the beds? Do we have the masks? Do we have the materials? You know, how cooperative is Washington, D.C. in getting things done? And, you know, how long do Hoosiers uh, you know, agree to comply with the stay-in-place order? We're all doing fine now, but remember, we're not even at day seven yet. All right, Jen, I'll give you the last word. We have about 30 seconds left. What are you going to be looking for as we go through this crisis? Well, I think I'm going to be looking for the same thing everybody is. Are people willing to give up 
one of the most fundamentally amazing things in America, our individual liberty. Are they willing to give that up for the betterment of their community, their state and their nation so that we can stop the spread of, of this virus? Pete, we have just a couple of seconds left for you as well. Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, for the curve flattening. I'm, I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. We know it's there, um, but it's, it's anyone's guess when it will come. All right. Again, thank you all for joining us, especially under these circumstances. We appreciate your insight. Coming up next this Sunday on In Focus, the Indy 500 postponed until August. We'll hear from track officials coming up next. I think it's not just uh, a race on Memorial Day. There's a whole long lead up to that race. And I 110% uh, support um, the decision to postpone it. I'm just tickled that we're still going to have it. Um, and we will have it. And. Uh, and we'll welcome the world back to the state of Indiana at that time. Governor Eric Holcomb talking earlier this week about that huge announcement at IMS. The 104th running of the Indianapolis 500 is now postponed until August. The new date is August 23rd. This is the first time the race will not be held in May, breaking with tradition. Here's what IMS President Doug Bowles had to say about you it. You can't start the Indy 500 two days before the 500. It is a long-term planning process. So we were getting in that window where if you want to replicate the Indy 500 in the way people expect it, we were almost at that point where we had to make the decision. It's going to be bizarre, you know, having having the Speedway just sitting peaceful and quiet and and safe for, for the month of May. But, you know, it's it's what we're all living in, in a different time and adapting to a new normal right now. And Stay right here. We'll have some final words on this edition of In Focus when we come back. That's our time for today. Thank you so much for joining us for In Focus. There's much more to come on Fox News Sunday and on Face the Nation. You can also go to our website for more information, more news and resources. Just click on the coronavirus tab. Thanks so much for joining us. Much more on our podcast. We'll talk to you again next Sunday on In Focus.